Welcome to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast, where we share illuminating stories and knowledge to inform, educate, inspire and empower you in the areas of business, health, finance, philanthropy, art, and entrepreneurship, designed to help you achieve your goals. And now here is your host, Desiree Stanley. Welcome everyone to the Pockets of Knowledge. I'm your host, Desiree Stanley. And with me today is my friend, Lisa Little. She is a realtor with Compass and she is out in the Austin area of Texas. And she is joining me today to share her knowledge and experience in the real estate world. We're also gonna touch a little bit on why she started in real estate and kind of the path that led to that. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming on the show. I so appreciate you sharing with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Lisa used to live in the town that I live in now, and we had children that grew up together, did Taekwondo together, and that was how we met. And Lisa is just a fantastic gal. I love her energy. And she's going to be talking with us now about what led her to begin in the real estate world and get her real estate license. So Lisa, tell us, what was it that prompted you to get into that? Oh my goodness. Well, that's an interesting story. I grew up in California. I grew up in the Northern California Bay Area. And pretty much all my life, I knew I was going to be in sales. My dad was in sales. My brother was in sales. So when I first graduated from college, I thought I was going to go to law school and then I got a sales job and started making some interesting money and thought, no way, I'm going to just enjoy this and keep going. But I was in corporate sales for a long time, which I loved. It was excellent. But, you know, once I had some kids and decided to stay home for a little while, I realized that I really needed to find something that was a little bit more passionate for me. I ended up becoming a director at Southern Living at Home, which was a multi-level marketing company. And learned that I had a real love and passion and talent for home design and really got into that business for a while. After a few years of doing that, we just decided I needed to do something else. And a bunch of my girlfriends from the high-tech world had gone into real estate. I decided that I was going to become a stager. So I opened up a staging business while I was living in the Bay Area and did that for seven years, ran that out of my garage, which was an interesting endeavor. My husband was not too pleased because he could never put his car in the garage, but it was great. We had a really good time. And then one day we made the decision that we were going to move to Texas. My husband was originally from the Houston area. We knew we wanted to come to Austin. We loved the area. We loved the school districts. And we knew that this was just kind of a place that was calling to we picked up our family in 2013 and we moved. And as soon as we landed, I looked around and said, I think I need to do real estate. I think this is what I need to do. So I did it. And I got my license within three months of moving here. And everybody told me this was all about who you know. And I didn't know anybody. I, I knew one person in Austin. So it was an interesting challenge. But that's pretty much what brought me to real estate. So tell us, like taking a step back, in terms of the staging business that you had started, is that still running? That's the first question. And then also, you said that you kind of had an eye, a knack for it. But what about the business side of it? In terms of launching a business and, 
you know, what it takes to do that aspect of it? Did you have any experience in that? Or was it just, I love design. I love decorating. I want to just do this. It was absolutely, I love design. I love decorating. I'm just going to do this. I had a lot of background in corporate sales. That's what my background was in. I could sell anything to anybody, but I did not have a business background. So when I decided to start my own business, that was an interesting endeavor. You know, I started with just doing what I know and doing what I loved. And that was just staging homes. And then I had to learn the business part of it, right? I had to learn how to manage my books and manage my income and pay my taxes that time. And, you know, how was I going to manage my inventory and all of those things? So it, it took a while to figure those things out. I was there for seven-ish years in California doing that, but I figured it out. I leaned on people I knew and friends and colleagues and such to just kind of guide me through it. When I first moved to Texas, I brought a portion of the business with me. I did not want to stage full-time, and I was not going to start looking for new business. But when I got my license, I found myself in a lot of training classes with new agents who didn't have relationships already with stagers. And so I spent my time kind of marketing and promoting to the newbies while I was trying to build my own business. And so I staged a little bit on the side just to kind of bring some income in while I was building my real estate business. Then my very best friend from California decided to move to the same town I did, which was interesting. But I just have to say, I got here first. It was a little bit of a competition, but I got here first. And when she sold her house in California and I looked at those pictures and I said, wow, who staged your house? And she said, well, I did. And I'm like, oh, girl, we're going to have dense conversations because when you're coming with me, you're coming with me. So she got here. We found her house. All was great. And I kind of roped her in and talked her into coming with me. And so she joined the business, which was amazing. And we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun staging together in those first couple of years. So the business is still operating to this day? Well, no, not so much. Just recently. So Michelle is the gal who came on board with me. After about a year or so of us working together in the staging world, I really decided I needed to take a step back and really focus my energy on the real estate world. She clearly knew what she was doing from a staging perspective. She really has an eye for it, but she also really has a good business sense. And so I realized really quickly that she was going to be able to take that business further than I would have. And so I took a step back and she basically took the business and ran with it. I guess now it's been seven or eight years since I've walked away from that business. Uh, she grew it to an amazing point. She was my stager. She was everybody around me stager. I mean, every agent I knew, I would talk about what Michelle was doing and she did a great job. But just recently, literally like last year, I think it was October of 2022, Michelle got her real estate license, which I'm super excited about. And she is now in the process of closing down the staging business. And she has joined me on, in my journey and on my team. So she is now our buyer specialist. I focus mostly on listings and we're working together again, which is super exciting. She's killing it. Yeah, I love it. And I yeah. do, of course, follow both of you on all the socials. So I get to see 
the exciting stuff that you're working on and doing together. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. And that I want to just touch on, you're talking about leaning on those who have experience and knowledge in areas and how valuable that is to really help us, you know, kind of bring it together. If maybe we're a little short on knowledge or experience in an area, leaning on those people who can help us kind of bridge the gap, if you will, sure. right? Sure. So I think that's a fantastic idea. What a great way to use the resources that you have available to you, you know, in that way. So that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing kind of how you did that. And then you sort of brought us into the next direction I want to go, talking about Michelle joining your team and how you're now working with women in the area to kind of build up other women and their businesses. And so tell us about that. What's been going on recently that you've been working on? Well, so one of the ways that I built my business here in this amazing little town that I'm in is through networking. And, you know, in my corporate world, I did a lot of work with the Chamber of Commerce and with, you know, networking and all of that. But I really didn't learn the true meaning of what networking was until I entered this business. I can probably take it back even to my staging business, but really more here. I like to tell the story that when we first got to this little town, which is Dripping Springs, Texas, so you guys can all look it up on the map. We're growing. We're pretty big now. But when I first got here, uh, you know, my husband got settled in his job and my son got settled in his school and my daughter got settled in her school. And it was about a month later that I was taking my daughter to a birthday party and as we're going there, she said, mommy, she was in the middle of her second grade year. And she said, mommy, are you going to come in to the birthday party? Because we were going to like this jumpy house place. And I said, well, do you want me to come in? Because I can come in if you want me to, or I can just drop you off either way. And she said, no, you know what, mommy, daddy has his friends at work and Alex is his friends at school. And I have, you need some friends, mommy. So I'm like, okay, I'm coming in. I'm going to make some friends. I walked into that birthday party and they had invited the entire class. So there were 35 kids probably there and all of their moms. And I sat back and I just kind of watched and I smiled and I chatted with a couple of people. And then I met this one woman and we started talking and she looked at me and she says, I'm new to the area. And I said, so am I. And she goes, do you like wine? I said, I love wine. She goes, well, then we need to get together. So we immediately formed a bond. And from that point on, it was all about empowering women. I mean, I don't know how it happened, but the two of us just connected and decided we needed to help each other bring our businesses up. She's a Mary Kay director, an amazing woman who has built an amazing business. And we just decided we were going to do it together. So we joined the chamber. We ran the membership committee for a number of years. We taught classes on networking. We built our businesses together. And it's just been amazing. I knew more people in this town in the first three years that I was here than I knew in the 17 years I was in my town in California. And that has nothing to do with the people. It has everything to do with what I was doing. And it was amazing. It was really very, very cool. I can't go to the grocery store without running into people I know. I just thought. Yeah. And this is a small town also, although we are growing and, and yes. have grown in these last 23 years, 24 years that I've been here. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think it's interesting what you said about 
it really kind of begins with us and the effort that we put into getting out to know people. And I think it sounds like there was a difference in what happened when you moved there. Maybe a little bit of a push from your daughter, which I love. I think that's adorable to yeah. make some friends. And, yes. you know, because it is a new area, they're probably, uh-huh. I think, felt like a little bit more of a push to have to do that. Where coming from California, living in California your whole life, you know, you maybe don't put as much effort into it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was scared. I mean, I took on a new career that required me to know people. You can't do real estate unless you know people. This is a relationship business. This is not a sales job. It's a relationship business. And I did not have a lot of experience doing that. So I had to just go back to what I knew was in my heart, which takes me all the way back to being a Girl Scout cookie salesperson, right? When I was a little girl and going door to door and just You know, my dad used to say I could talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. So I just leaned on that. Um, But what I really learned was that there's a lot of women that are running small businesses that need that connection, that that's what we do. We connect. I love men. I work a lot with men. I have a lot of great men in my business and in my network, but women just network differently. We start with giving before we get, and we're always trying to help and we're always trying to understand. And you know, a lot of us are moms or grandmothers or daughters or sisters or you know, guardians of something, right? If, even if it's just our furry little friends. And so we're always trying to juggle all of that. And so I really found my place in understanding how to help women grow. And I think that's really where I found my knack. It's been amazing, it really has. I love that. And what you said about women are connectors, I really think that's so true. Well, who's the first person you ask anytime you need a new hairdresser or whatever the case may be? Sure. You ask another woman and they're going to tell you, you know, or I need to have my windows clean. I need to have my carpet clean. Who are you going to ask a woman? And she's going to tell you, I had a great experience with these people. You should use them. Yes. And that's what we do. We connect businesses with people and people with businesses. So I love it. We ask women who to have your car fixed. I mean, we don't ask the man. We ask the women. I mean, I don't know why that is, but even things that we really don't know a whole lot about, we just know what the experience was like. And when we have a good experience, we want to share that with everybody. And we want to be helpful. And we want to allow people to experience what we experienced or not experience what we experienced, right? So yeah, it's an interesting evolution that I've gone through from the corporate world all the way to this. Very, very interesting. So tell us a little bit about, since you knew very few people when you decided to get in real estate, what was it that you did? I know you mentioned networking and really trying to get out there. And so was there something specifically that you did that really helped you build that aspect of your business so that you could grow and actually help people sell homes, help people buy homes? So when you get into real estate, what's interesting is that there's a lot of ideas that everybody has of how you should grow your business. It's very much the shiny object, right? You should do a knock, you should send mailers, you should go to business meetings, you should all these things that you should do. And of course, every new agent gets caught up in that 
I was told in the very beginning, which I thought was a really great piece of advice is lead with revenue, lead with revenue. Don't spend your money until you start making money and then you can start spending money. So I really did hold back from spending a lot of money in marketing and all of those kinds of things in the beginning. I really did two things. I held homes open. I did open houses every weekend, almost just about every single weekend for my first year to my whole family's dismay, but I did it. I held a homes open. And the second thing I did was I really leaned into that chamber of commerce in my small little town, you know, volunteering to be on the membership committee where we were out literally like meeting new members and meeting existing members. Um, and then I got, you know, hooked up with teaching a class on how to network in the chamber of commerce, how to build your business, how to write and speak a 60 second commercial and what that should look like. I was the face of that. You know, my friend and I, who had met at that birthday party, we were the face of the chamber for three years. I mean, you didn't know the chamber without knowing us and, you know, a handful of other people, but we were really the face. So between really working in the business, which was the open houses, and then really working the networking piece, which is the chamber, those two things came together. And in the midst of all of that, I found a coaching company that focused heavily on networking and referrals within the real estate business. And I glommed onto that and immediately hired a coach and started working with a coach. So between those three things, it all just kind of came together for me. Tell us a little bit then about the coaching company and what it was that they did to help you work those referrals. And I mean, was it somebody you worked with every single week? Was it every single day or once a month? What was that process like? So the coaching company is located down in Carlsbad, California. Do you want me to tell you the name? I think it's Buffini and Company. Yes, yeah, Buffini. So Brian Buffini, I'm a huge advocate of his. I was first introduced to him by a friend who said, just listen to his podcast. And I listened for about six months. I was hooked, absolutely hooked. He's my age. He is everything who I am, only in the male role and a lot more wealthy, but that's okay. And just he just spoke to me i went to a seminar of his in dallas and i was like i'm done i gotta sign up for coaching so i did and the entire premise behind what buffini teaches is work by referral that's the everything it's build your relationships go deep go wide and he talks so much about how to build those relationships and nurture those relationships which is who i am and what i love it doesn't feel like work to me. It's just making friends and building relationships. And his whole premise is notes, calls, and Popeyes. So you make your calls, you write your notes, personal handwritten notes. I've got stacks of them on my desk. They're everywhere. And you can see all the different notes I've got here. I write lots of personal notes. And then Popeyes are, if you were in Texas, you would think that was a chicken chain like KFC. It's called Popeyes. But these are Popeyes. And it's just little gifts that you bring to your top people on a monthly basis or quarterly basis, just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you and just to, to increase dialogue and just, you know, increase the relationship. So I really jumped into that and I took that to the open houses and I took that to the, the chamber and I built that with it. And, you know, when I look at my database, if you will call it that now, they're really my friends. They're really people that we have dinner with. We invite them here for Christmas every year. We do a, a chili party that we started actually in California. I think you might've come to one of those. 
we still do chili and cheer here. And my clients are the ones who come as well because they're our friends and they're just part of our family. It's, it's been amazing. Yeah, that's so fantastic. And Brian's podcast is phenomenal. He teaches such great content there. So much in terms of managing your finances and, you know, like you said, building those relationships and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So I highly recommend it. I listen to his podcast as well. It's fantastic. And really that teaching of build the relationship first, right? We are caring people. We care about other people. It's what can I do for you? How can I help you? And then it just grows from there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you start with that attitude that I'm going to help you first and just trust that, you know, once you give, it's going to come back and it's not ever or always going to come back directly. Like, you know, I give to you. That doesn't mean you're going to immediately give back to me. When you give, the universe just gives back. Um, And I'm such a big believer of that. I always have, I always keep telling my husband, the more you put out there, you just put yourself out there to the universe. It just comes back. And it's just amazing how that happens. So I love that. I love that part. hundred percent. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. For sure. It's, you've got to give to get, and you're right. It isn't going to be necessarily like tit for tat or whatever, but it's just, it's just the giving nature that the universe wants to give back to you. It's sure. Just the way it is. Well, let's talk now a little bit about some things that are happening in the real estate world, because there's a lot of things that are happening, not just in real estate, but, you know, in terms of mortgage and lending and interest rates, that's kind of like this affects that. And so, and I know your market is going to be a little bit different than say California or Montana or, you know, Georgia. Sure, sure. Okay, so the market has definitely, we're on a wild ride this year. We were, we've been on a wild ride for a couple of years. But I will tell you that in general, when interest rates go up, buyers tend to get a little bit hesitant about buying. And when interest rates go up and we have less buyers, then the market starts to feel a little bit of a push. That's really where we are right now. We've had some spikes and we've had some dips and we've had some plateaus. And I think really actually in the last week, week and a half, we've had some, some spikes and dips again. What I tell my clients is this, we're always going to have people who need to move, right? You've got people who have life issues, life situations going on, whether it's a, a birth of a child or a change of a job or a death of a family member or, or divorce or marriage or babies or whatever all those things are, right? People are always looking to move. So there's always people in the market that are looking. As a buyer, if you're really so focused on the interest rates, what you need to realize is that when interest rates are high, prices are tend to be a little bit lower. So it's a good time to buy because the prices are lower and you can always refinance. When the interest rates are low, the prices are a little bit higher, it's still a good time to buy because your interest rate is low, right? But you're buying at a higher price. So I, I try to really calm my clients down and just say, look, if this is the right time for you to sell, or if this is the right time for you to buy, and you have an impending event, and this is important to you, it's going to work. It's going to be okay. Um, this is the biggest investment a lot of people make. And we need to be good stewards of that, right? That's our job is to give as best advice as we can. 
So I try not to get too hyped up into the market. I really try more to educate each individual client on what's best for them. I have a number of buyers who are waiting because it's just not the right time for them. I have a number of sellers who are waiting. It's not the right time for them. And then I have some that are in between that are, this is the right time. So we have a housing shortage in this country. We're going to have a housing shortage for many years to come. Our industry is going to continue to be strong. You know, you got to do what's right for your family and what and what's right for your own investments. Don't listen to all that stuff. Make the decision based on what's right for you. That's, yeah, that's, that's how I handle it. That's excellent advice too, because it really, the most important thing is what you need for your life situation. Like you said, if you're changes in family, changes in job, whatever, you've got to just do what makes the most sense for you at the time, you know, that you're in right now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't tell you what's right for you. All I can do is tell you where the market is and I can tell you what's happening and I can tell you what we think is going to happen, but none of us have crystal balls. Nobody can tell you for sure what's going to happen in six months. We can all guess and speculate. And if you're in the industry, you're speculating positive always because that's what we do. But, you know, it's really just what's right for you. And, and that's what I would encourage everybody to do is find somebody that you can trust and talk to that can help you figure out what's right for you. Well, then let's talk a little bit about, since you are kind of giving some advice to buyers and sellers, what are some things that maybe first-time home buyers should be thinking about when they're getting ready to begin the process of searching for a home? Oh, boy. So first of all, be very careful not to make a decision based on emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say, really take a step back and understand what you can afford. Just because you got approved for 500000 or 700000 or even a million doesn't mean you can afford five hundred or seven hundred or a million. So really be careful with that and really think through what that monthly payment's going to look like in your budget. Remember that this is not the house that you're going to be in for the rest of your life. So you're not going to get every single thing you want. And it's okay. It's okay to, to buy a home that works for you now, knowing that in the future, there's going to be something else. Just get into the market. Get into the market. I'm a big advocate of not renting if you don't need to. To me, renting is just paying somebody else's mortgage and their taxes. Um, so if you get a Ford to buy and you've got you know the means to do that, then I would have highly recommended because once you're in the market, then you can continue to go up with the market as the market continues to go up. Find yourself a local realtor, somebody who understands the area that you are looking in. And in our town, we have septic, we have wells, we have propane, we have natural gas, we have land that is being subdivided. We have work culture exemptions and wildlife exemptions and solar. And we got so many crazy things here. And when an agent comes in from, you know, a big city, you can only imagine the big cities that are surrounding Austin, right? To represent a buyer and they don't understand what a septic system looks like and how that can affect you, you're not doing your client any justice. So make sure that you're working with a realtor that understands the market that you're in and make sure that you're working with a local lender, somebody who understands the laws and the rules of that area because it's not just about the rate. It's also about all the other things that go into closing on a house and all the extra fees and all of those things. So you really need to be very careful 
that you're working with the right people. If you have a friend or family member that has a referral, use them. I would highly recommend that instead of going online and just finding somebody and take your time. Take your time and just make sure it's the right house. You're going to know from when you walk in if that's the right place. You're just going to know. That's great advice. I love that. Thank you for sharing those great points. And I want to talk a little bit about something that you said where this is not necessarily going to be the home that you are in forever. I think that a lot of times you think this is going to be your forever home. Like you're, you're looking for the home that you're going to just be in forever. And instead of thinking like, oh, maybe it is just something to get my foot in the door, right? Just something to get me into the market. Like you said, it's sort of like the concept of getting on the train before it leaves the station, right? Because you're going to miss it. You're going to miss them. And you might end up being priced out of the area and not be able to buy because you can't afford it because it has gone beyond your reach. So I think that's a great piece of advice that you shared there. And, you know, you're right. The agent has got to know the area and the lender has to know the area. And the thing about the lenders too, that they know the different programs for your area, because there may be special lending programs that are available and you may qualify for different loans and the lender is going to know that because they're in that area. So that's another great piece of advice. Yes. I always tell my clients too, you know, you want a local lender because, and this sounds really bad, but I used to tell them, I probably don't tell them this as much, but you know, if there's just somebody that I can just, if I need to go Choke them in person, I can, right? Like, do your job, right? You need to be in person. You need to be somebody who's local, not an 800 number that you're trying to get to, that you're emailing or faxing. There's people out there still asking faxes, you know, your paperwork over five and six times. So if your realtor feels comfortable with that lender, that's who you should go to. If you feel comfortable with your realtor and they like the lender, they're a team. And that's a team that can get you to the finish line, which is where you really want to be. So I just can't say it enough. You need to work with local people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for really going into detail with and sharing all about that. I love it. I think that's great advice. So I want to talk a little bit about what are maybe some misconceptions that people have when they're going into the home buying or home selling process. I know misconceptions. There's so many. There's so many. So number one, let's just talk about your realtor. Your realtor is not sitting back making oodles of money and not doing a whole lot of work. A good realtor is doing their job, which is a tremendous amount of work. It's not only trying to help you find the right home and the right location and guiding you through the process of what that entails, but also truly negotiating on your behalf. I mean, I think that's probably our number one job is really negotiating on the behalf of our clients and making sure that we are providing our clients with all the necessary information. Again, is there a septic? Is there a well? Should we have it inspected? What does that inspection look like? What should you be asking for in that inspection report? What should you be asking to have repaired? And when is it time to walk away from a deal and not be afraid of that? Because that you know, sometimes if you get into it and you realize it's just not the right thing. So your realtor really needs to be somebody who is going to fight for you and not just sit back and, and make a paycheck. So that's number one. 
Number two misconception is that once you buy a house, it's just going to automatically go up in value. Yeah, no. <laughs> the, the market is volatile. It goes up and it goes down. But hang on, hang on and just hold on to that home if you can and wait through the process, wait through the market, because eventually you will make money on it. There's a great song that Luke Bryan sings with somebody else. I can't remember who it is. It's called Buy Dirt. So I'm in Texas. We love our country music. Buy Dirt is a great song because it really just basically says to be successful in life, you need to buy dirt. You just need to buy land. And that just basically means you need to buy a home. Get into the market and buy a home. I think it's the best place to put your money. It's absolutely, to me, the best place to put your money. So that's the second misconception. What else? People who make a lot of money are the only ones who can buy a home. And that is not true. There are many places in this country and many places in your own city, in my own city, where you can buy a home and not be a millionaire. You just have to find the right area, the right home, the right people to support you, the right lender, and have them help you. Um, and I will tell you this too, if you are thinking about buying a home and you are a first-time buyer, you should be working with a lender at least 12 months before you're going to actually pull a trigger. They can help you get your credit score where it needs to be and help you figure out how much cash flow you need to have. And every other thing that you need to do, they are there to help you. So you need to work with those lenders well before you are seriously considering buying and they will be more than happy to help you. That's fantastic advice right there, because I think the misconception there is that you just decide I'm going to buy a home and then you just start to look for a home. And right. that's kind of like putting the cart before the horse. You've got to really have that background stuff done. Your credit score needs to look good. You've got to make sure your bills are all paid on time, right? Working with that lender, they can help you get all that stuff in line so that when you're pre-approved, which means they've looked through all your finances with you and mm -hmm. you, they can tell you how much you're qualified for, then you can go begin looking for the home that fits that for your budget that makes the most sense. So that's great advice. I love that. Yeah. I would say too, on the seller side, it's the same story. If you're thinking mm. about selling your home, you should be working with an agent who understands the market six months to a year before you put it on the market. If you're, if you can, obviously there are situations where you can't, but you know, before you start ripping and tearing at that kitchen and pulling out floors and painting walls and changing out light fixtures, you should be talking to an agent about, you know, where you're thinking about going, what price point you want to be at so that you can make decisions on, does it make sense to put this amount of money into my house in order to sell it? Does it make sense to put any money into my house? Does it even make sense to sell right now? So, you know, I would say at least 70% of my clients are people that I started working with six to nine months before they were ready to sell. Some of them, we've guided them through some remodels. Some of them we've said, let's just, you know, shampoo the carpets and put it on the market. It just depends on what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. You know, that just brought up something for me that I want to talk about. And that's whether or not it makes sense to do those remodels or like you said, mm -hmm. just shampoo the carpet and you're good to go. And where is that decision made and how is that decision made? Because some people think like, 
I don't want to put another dime into this house. I want to just sell it as it is and they can fix it however they want. But does that make the most sense? And, you know, so talk about that with us right now. When, when does that make the most sense? And when does it make more sense to maybe do a little bit of work? Well, I think it makes sense totally depending on what your resources are at the time, right? So if you've got the resources to put some money into the house and what we're looking at, you know, if we can put 10000 into the house and get $50,000 back, that makes sense. If we put $10,000 in and we get $10,000 back, does that make sense? It might, because we might be able to sell it in a quicker amount of time. Maybe you've got three kids running around the house and two dogs and getting them out of the house every time you're trying to show it and it's going to be a real pain, right? And a hardship. So maybe it makes sense to do it quickly. It really depends on the situation. But the earlier we can make those determinations, the better. Coming from my design background and my staging background, I am very particular about the way my homes look before I put them on the market. But that doesn't mean that it costs a lot of money. I mean, putting your home on the market and reaching the standard that I think we need to get to could just mean sitting on the floor and magic erasing your baseboards, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've done that with our clients. Or just doing some touch-up paint or changing out a light fixture for one at Home Depot that's just a little bit more modern for $150. I mean, those little things can make a huge difference. Staging makes a huge difference. Just rearranging how the furniture is and decluttering certain things. That does not mean take everything out of your house. We do not want to strip your house bare to no personality. We want to showcase what's most beautiful in your home. So if that's your floors or if that's your windows or your tall ceilings or the beautiful fireplace, or whatever it is that's really stunning about your home, and there is something stunning about every home, there just really is, then that's what staging is supposed to do, is just showcase what is amazing about that home. So to go back to the question, it really just depends on the budget, it depends on the timeline, depends on the house, it depends on the market. But if you bring in a professional, we can help you decide that. We can help you, you know, weed through those questions. That's excellent. And we talked a little bit before the show began about the difference in home design and designing a home and home staging and staging a home for sale. So talk to us a little bit about that. How are those different? Yeah, being a home decorator or designer is not a home stager at in no way, shape or form. A home decorator or designer, either way, a designer typically is one who's going to help you figure out moving walls and, and that kind of thing. Whereas a decorator is really more the aesthetic, right? The curtains and the furniture and stuff. But either way, you're decorating, designing for the taste of the homeowner, right? So I love chickens and I want chickens everywhere in my house. Okay. So that's a decorator. That's a designer. Those are people who are going to help you figure out how to put chickens everywhere in your house to make it look good. A stager is there to help, again, showcase the best features of the home and make it appeal to the most people out there, the most buyers. So this is where we get into more neutral colors. We get into less furnishing so people can really, you know, see the space and understand what they've got to work with. If you've got natural light coming in, we don't want big draperies. 
so that's really where a stager comes in. I am very much a decorator for staging. I mean, I've got that look down. I know how to walk into a home and my stagers do as well and see what's beautiful about it and figure out a way to showcase that. If you want me to decorate your house with chickens, I am not your gal. I'm just, that's not what I can do. And I am I'm not good at it. And so there's a definite difference between those two people. Thank you for giving us the ins and outs of those. And it totally makes yeah. sense. I mean, a decorator right. is somebody who's more designing for your own personal taste, whereas sure. a stager is somebody who's going to be designing to make it visually appealing to the most people so they can really see what the space allows for, you know, it's like a visualization, right? That people can see, hmm, my furniture can fit this way, or I can use this room in this way. And, right. you know, th right. so that's really the concept. And I think it makes a difference. And you talked about stripping a house bare and you don't want to do that really either, because again, the buyer comes in and can't see like, this is the purpose of this room. I have no idea what I would do with this room. But when you've staged it in such a way that, like you said, you're showcasing it so that people can see, mm, this is what I could do with it. And this Absolutely. is how I can make it look. It makes yes. a difference in what they think that the home is worth and is it going to work for their family? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we were in the middle of COVID, we had a home that we were putting on the market that had an upstairs bonus room, right? which a lot of homes in the Austin area have, right? We have these bonus rooms that can be media rooms or, you know, game rooms for the kids, playrooms, what have you. And this was an older couple who had no kids. And they had it set up as a second seating area upstairs. And we came in and we said, okay, this community is feeding to one of the best school districts in the area. This entire neighborhood is filled with kids. You know, you guys are definitely the anomaly. There's not very many older couples without kids who live here. And right now, 90% of these kids are homeschooling. So when we came in and got this house ready to sell, we staged that bonus room as a homeschool. We put desks and a little sofa in the middle with some games on it and some shelves and just made it look like this is where your kids can come and do their homework. And, you know, within five or six days, we sold that to a family who had four kids all going to the school and needed space for their kids to be able to be homeschooled. It's all about the visualizing. You know, they could have visualized that any way they wanted to, but to put it in front of them that way and make it very clear that this was a space for their kids made all the difference. So those are the little tiny things that we do as a stager. Yeah, thank you. So this actually brings up a question for me in terms of how do you stay on trend? Like, how do you figure out what's happening? Is there classes that you're taking? Is there things that you're learning that help you stay up to date with what's going on? So in terms of the staging side, I leave that to my stager. <laughs> She's going to stay up on trends. I'm going to tell her what I like, and then we're going to meld those two together. But in terms of the market and in terms of real estate, we're always, always learning, being always trying to be better. So, you know, we have our classes that we have to take every two years to renew our license. Everybody knows that. And there are certain classes that we all have to take, and, and that's good. And then there's other classes that we can take to be better. My team is constantly in front of city officials, county officials, builders, uh, developers. We have what we call county commissioners, which are kind of like 
judges, if you will, that are making policy decisions about roads and bridges and wastewater and all of those things that are so important to Texans. And so we're always in front of those folks, learning and growing so that we can understand really what our community is doing and so that we can provide that information back. So it's a full-time job just learning, but it's fun. It's, it's pretty cool. You mentioned that there's classes that you have to take that's required as part of your licensure, but there's also things that you can take that you can elect to take that sort of differentiate you and you get a little bit of a specialization. And so do you have any of those, you know, kind of like letters after your name? I have a few. So I have what they call a negotiation specialist. So if anybody knows anything about Lisa, they know that Lisa loves to negotiate. It's one of my favorite things. So I do have that negotiation specialist certification letters behind my name. I also have taken many other classes that don't have certifications that have to do with negotiation as well. I also have a certified luxury home marketing specialization. So uh, just knowing how to market luxury homes is definitely different than the non-luxury homes. So I have that one. And then I have a general real estate license behind me as well, which is like marketing and finance and education. It's like a three-piece course that they do here in Texas. I'm not sure if they do it anywhere else. And I'm actually right now working on my broker's license. I will not open my own brokerage. I would be more of a broker associate, but I'm building a team. I've got you know, there's three of us now we're looking to grow that team. And so I feel like having my broker's license is something that will only help me be better in that respect. So tell us then what is the difference between just a realtor or a real estate licensee versus a broker, real estate broker associate? So a broker associate really has a little bit more responsibility. You're really more in tune with the laws that are, you know, governing Real estate has a ton of laws behind it. We are very highly regulated um, because this is, again, the biggest asset that many people are going to purchase and sell. So it's important that we understand what we're doing and what the laws are. We are by no means lawyers. We cannot act as a lawyer. We cannot give legal advice. But as a broker, we're just held to a little bit higher standard and we really understand a little bit more about what those laws and regulations are. As long as I work under a broker, they're legally responsible for me and my team in terms of what we do. But that broker is going to hold me to a higher standard for what my team does once I have my broker's associate license. Well, thank yeah. you for clarifying that. And um, sure. yeah, so is there any books or podcasts? I know we talked about Brian's earlier, and I'll, of course, share that information in the show notes. But is there any other books or podcasts that you want to share with the listeners now that you think would be helpful or beneficial? So I'm a huge advocate of personal growth and development. My family teases me because when we go on vacation, they were like, mom, you should be reading like a romance novel or a whatever. And, and I don't. I'm always reading something that has to do with growing in business. And it's funny because we talked about this today, but this is the actual book I'm reading right now. It's called The Go-Giver. I'm sure you've heard of it. I love parables. I love short stories. And this book is really just about how giving first always comes back to you. I read this about three or four years ago. I reread it about a year ago, and I'm in the process of reading it again. It's a great book for anybody who's just looking to 
you know, figure out how to give first. It's a great little parable. I have a whole bunch of books like what I read. And I would highly suggest if you're in the personal growth and development mode, like I am, Brian Buffini has a whole list of books. You can just go onto his website and look, and there's tons of great books in there that I've probably read them all two or three times. So I'm kind awesome. of a nerd that way. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that it makes such a difference in how you are able to help other people, to educate other people, because you're taking the time to learn and grow and develop and continually improve your skills. And that just makes you better at what you do in helping people. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. You know, what fun are we having if we're not helping other people meet their goals and meet their dreams? So that's what it's all about to me. It's a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah. Lisa, it's been so wonderful to have you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to educate us on all of these different things. And it's just such a treat. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, share your knowledge, experience, and your time with the listeners. So thank you. Absolutely. And I appreciate being here. And I'm so excited about your podcast. I love it. I listen to it all the time. I'm so proud of you for getting this gallery and more power to you. And I'm going to be hopefully listening to a lot of other people that I know on this podcast soon. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. Be sure to join us again next week for more great information designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your goals. And thanks again for listening. Thank you all for being here. I'm thrilled to have you join me for my new podcast. If you found this episode enjoyable, I'd love for you to show your support by following, rating, and reviewing on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback will not only help me improve, but it will also help others discover the content. Happy listening.